Good morning, Moncton. How are we doing today? And also, we want to welcome all of those who are viewing online. Many people may not know that we have a crowd online, and we're going to be rolling out more of that and communicating that more often, that you can, if you're not here on a Sunday, watch streaming, and you can be right here with us worshiping and, and uh, exploring the scripture together. And so welcome to all of you who are online today with us. Now, if you wonder, maybe you're brand new around here, in fact, maybe this is your first Sunday, you're brand new, guess what? So am I. And uh, today is the first Sunday that I can officially say it is good to be your pastor. And so we want to thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Just, just a few things I want to ask for you to pray for before we get into Scripture today. Uh, first of all, if you could pray for our staff and, and leadership. As you know, the church over the last six months has been through so much transition. And, and with that, we definitely have some leadership gaps right now. And so if you could pray as we seek uh, God's will in those areas and you say, well, it doesn't seem like things are running at 100% around here. You're right. They're not. And so we appreciate your patience with that. And would you also pray about stepping up financially, that we have some ground to make up financially as well, but we know that as we exercise radical generosity in our lives and in our church to our community and to the world, as we do that, that God starts to unlock blessing in our lives. It gives him the freedom to move and to do miracles. And so I just want you to look at the person beside you, behind you, in front of you. And if you believe that God has great things in store for this church and for our region, for Atlantic Canada and the world, would you turn to the person beside you, behind you, in front of you and say, I believe that Jesus is going to do it. Come on now, go ahead and do that now. Now, <laughs> I... I've been in the South for the last 10 years, and so it kind of came out, I believe, yeah, I heard, I heard some of you trying to do that. That was good. <laughs> if you would, grab your Bible, and let's start in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 Corinthians 13. Maybe you're wondering, we have a new pastor, now what? Where, where are we going now? What are we going to do to move forward together? And I'm glad that you asked because, first of all, I think before we determine where we want to go, first we have to decide together what kind of church we want to be. And so this series, Forward Together, will last well into the month of August, and so this will really consume a lot of our summer as we, we seek to answer this question together. But, but to get started this Sunday and next, I want to start with what I think is a critical question in relation to our direction. And here it is. Let's put it on the screen. The question is, what makes a church great? Do we have that? What makes a church great? Now, you might get a lot of different answers to that question. You ask some Christians, and they might say, well, what makes a church great is if it is a busy church. The more programs they have, the better. If you can keep people busy every day of the week and, and something for every age and every demographic and every need in the community, then that's a great church. 
Others say that it has to be a growing church, that if it's not reaching more people this year than last year, then it, it can't be a great church. Some might say that it has to be a missions-minded church, that the priority has to be first on overseas missions in order to be a great church. Some might say that it has to be a well-programmed church, that everything has to run like a well-oiled machine and you have to have your five-year strategic plan and your goal set out and everything has to be just so. Some might say that it has to have a certain kind of music in order to be a great church. And as you know, sometimes even Christians will fight amongst themselves to find the answer to that question. But I wonder if sometimes we're missing the point that maybe those things are not what actually make a church great. Now, maybe you might find some of those things in a church that happens to be great, but that maybe that's not the actual cause. Sometimes those things may be an effect. And so what we are going to do is look at some things that the, the apostle uh, Paul identified some qualities of a great church. And as we get ready to do that, if, if anybody should know what makes a church great, I think it would be the Apostle Paul. Now, who is Paul? Well, if you go into the New Testament, Paul is a guy who was a really bad dude, and Jesus changed his life on the road to Damascus. And I think right there, there's a principle that we all need to grab hold of that may be here today. There are people who would say that you've been a bad person. Maybe you've done some bad things in your life, decisions that you're ashamed of, things that you wish you could change, but you feel powerless and hopeless and think that you could never be good enough. But listen, if God could change Paul's life, he can change your life to do. He can radically transform you and have great things that he can do in and through you. And what happened is from that moment on, when he had his God encounter for the the rest of his life from that point forward, Paul devoted to starting new churches all around the Roman Empire and helping them to become effective in their mission. And so even because of the effectiveness of those churches that he planted, we can say that in large part, that is the reason that we are here today worshiping 2,000 years later. And so just let's, let's acknowledge right up front that if anybody would know what makes a church great, it would be the Apostle Paul. He was the ultimate church consultant, the ultimate coach. And so today and next Sunday, we are going to see how with every church that Paul worked with, he continually emphasized the need for three qualities. Are you ready? Here they are. Everybody say faith. faith. Oh, come on now. You can do better than that. I didn't hear you in the balcony, okay? I, I, I'm going to remind you this occasionally. The more you participate, the faster this will go. Because if you don't respond, if you don't shout back, if you don't clap, if you don't laugh, if you don't, don't answer questions, then I think you're not getting it, and I have to explain more. And so if you'd like to get out for lunch, encourage, okay? Make sure we know we're together. So the first one we're going to look at today is faith. faith. <laughs> if I had hair, you would have just blown it back. Faith. Everybody say hope. And love, love. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, 
Paul said, in the end, after everything else has passed away, these three will remain faith, hope, and what? Love. But the greatest of these, he says, is love. And so guess what? It's not just Paul. Jesus said the same thing. In fact, if you look at John chapter 13, if you want to find that in your Bible, John chapter 13, Paul didn't make this up. These defining characteristics of faith, hope, and love come directly from the teaching of Jesus. And here in John 13, Jesus was teaching his disciples, and he said, guys, there are three things that I want to see flowing out of your lives. Let's begin reading in John 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And so Jesus modeled it for them. And then keep going into verse 34. In verse 34, he told them, A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if, how? If you love one another. And so say it with me. How will they know you were disciples of Jesus if you have love for one another? And then this teaching keeps flowing right into the next chapter. Look at John chapter 14, verse 1. Now, one of the things that we want to keep in mind is that in the New Testament, in the Old Testament as well, but, but in the New Testament... In the Greek language in which it was originally written, that, that there were no chapter breaks, there were no paragraphs, there were no verse notations. And so sometimes we think that a chapter means one thought is ending and a new one is beginning. That's not true. They're just there to help us kind of identify and tell each other how to find particular words in Scripture. They were added later. And so John 14 is actually a continuation of John 13. And in John 13, he emphasized our need for love. Now look at what he emphasized in, emphasizes in the next section. John 14, verse 1, Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or many rooms. And if it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. And so he says, this is your hope for the future. Do you ever get scared in this messed up, crazy world in which we live? It's human. But the, the fact of the matter is that that God's desire for us is not one filled with fear and anxiety where we run around crazy and angry and, and, and fearful like everybody else in the world. That Jesus says, I have come that you may have hope. That no matter what you're going through, no matter how bad it seems that the world is becoming, that in the end, Jesus says, you're going to win. In the end, he is going to turn it around. Jesus says, you can take hope in my promises. 
And then guess what comes next in chapter 14? He challenges their faith. Down in verse 12, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And so Jesus goes on to emphasize their need for what? For faith. He says, how much are you willing to step out in faith? And so Jesus looks at this ragtag group of men who we now call his disciples or the apostles. And he looked at them and through his mentoring and, and, and coaching and leadership and discipleship, he, he seeks to develop in them these three qualities of faith, hope, and what? Love. And so now let's jump over a couple of pages to the right. And let's find the book of Acts. Now, in your Bible, Acts chapter 1 tells us about the very beginnings of the early church, right after Jesus returned to heaven. And many scholars and church leaders point to the book of Acts as the ultimate example, our pattern for what makes a great church, a model that we can follow. And I've heard John Maxwell and others say that, that here we see the priorities of the early church. Now, a priority means that some things ought to come before other things. Now, there are many things that are important and valuable, but we can't do everything. And we especially can't do everything at the same time. And so we find in Acts chapter 1, 2, and 3 some of the priorities of the early church that they put some things before other things. And so, now, we're going to come back to faith, hope, and love, I promise. We're going to come back to that next week. But first, let's look at the priorities of the early church in Acts chapter 1, 2, and 3. And the first one we see is that anointing comes before activity. Would everybody say that with me? Anointing comes before activity. Look at, pick Acts chapter 1, verse, verse 4. Acts 1, verse 4. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so the key word here is wait. Wait for what? He says wait for the gift. And what's the gift? He says the gift is that you be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now that's kind of an interesting statement. That's not something that people talk a lot about in popular culture today. What does it mean to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? I'm glad that you asked because he goes on in the next few verses and he tells us what to expect. Verse 8. Verse 8, Jesus said, but you will receive power. Everybody say power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so the Spirit of God empowers us to go out and be witnesses 
for God in this world to people who don't know Jesus. And I think what this is saying is that we cannot do the work of God being His witnesses apart from the power of God which only comes through His Spirit. I think sometimes that maybe we get this confused. Sometimes people think that busyness is equal to holiness. That the more you do for God, the more fulfilling your life will be. And so people run around frantically. And many times in the church, it's like, how many ministries can we start? How many programs can we be involved in? How many missions projects can we do? Look at all this great stuff that we're doing for God. And that's good. But listen, many times all of that busyness can in fact lead to a bust. That if we're not careful, after a while, people will get tired and they quit church. And so often they will leave the church and say, well, I tried all that Jesus stuff. I got involved in all of the activities of the church and my life wasn't changed. All I ended up with was a case of being tired and burned out. Because here's the truth. Listen, this is the danger of working for God apart from the anointing of God. Let me say that again. There is great danger in the busyness of working for God apart from the anointing of God. If our activity is apart from his anointing, it reminds me of all the classic cars running around town this weekend with their big V8 engines, but running on only three cylinders and half a spark plug. You're not going to get very far, right? That eventually that car is going to break down on the side of the road, and that is exactly what happens for many Christians and in many churches. And so here is the secret in fact, if you lead, read Scripture, you find that it's not a secret, but if you go to many churches, you might think it is a secret. Here's the secret. That kind of anointing only comes through prayer. Through prayer. And a lot of times, people would rather go to any other ministry in the church but prayer ministry. We don't want to pray about it. We need to do something. In fact, the city that I've just come from, I, we, we, we started all church prayer gatherings. And literally, there were a few pastors who said, we're not going to bother to come. We're sick of all that praying. We, we just want to do stuff. People won't come if the agenda is prayer. What's the program? Listen, programs that have not been preceded by prayer are powerless. And so that's what I want to invite you to. Two things that I would love for you to highlight today, if you want to just not uh, jot this down, is first of all, number one, Sunday morning prayer team at 10. This is a brand new thing that we started with our staff and our board leadership this morning at 10 a.m. in the North Hall of the Atrium. And so if you go straight out of these doors 
and turn right, that's the north entrance, or if you on Sunday next week come in the main entrance from the parking lot and turn left, you'll end up heading up the north hall of the atrium towards the north entrance. Every Sunday from this day forward, our intent is to have prayer at 10, prayer team at 10. Now, some of you are already part of prayer groups at 10. We have the meeting all around the church. Kids World has them, production team, and, and all of the leadership who are getting ready for Sunday morning in here, and, and our frontline teams have prayer at that same time. But listen, on a given Sunday, if you're not part of one of those other prayer teams, have we got something for you? Come at 10 a.m. and join us in the North Hall for prayer every Sunday. Because listen, any program that is not preceded by prayer for his anointing is powerless. And many of you are part of other prayer groups throughout the week. I've been hearing about some great things that are going on. But one more thing I would love for you to get on your calendar. Summer rising. We're going to do rising on July 18th. Now, Rising had been communicated at the beginning of the summer that it was going to take a summer break, like many of our ministries, while people, as you know, are, are gone so many weekends during the summer and throughout the week. And so many of our ministries are on a short break for summer, and that was going to be the case with Rising. But we decided as a staff this week and as a leadership team, we decided that we want to have a special summer rising to make sure that none of our activities go on before we've had his anointing together as a church in prayer. And so we would love for you to come to rising on July 18th at 6.30 p.m. We have arranged, notice that is 6.30 p.m. If you show up at 6.30 a.m., we might not have anybody here that morning. But, uh, but uh, we also have child care for nursery and preschool that evening already arranged. And we are going to join here in this room and then go uh, be sent out around the property. We're going to pray inside and outside and upstairs and downstairs and for kids and for students and for seniors and for families and for single folks. Pray for the salvation of the lost and revival in the city. And more than anything, we are going to pray for his anointing. Because anointing needs to come before any of our activity. Don't ever forget this. A busy church and a busy life apart from the anointing of God is a recipe for disaster. Number two, quality comes before quantity. Everybody say that with me. Quality comes before quantity. Let's continue with Acts chapter 1 verse 14. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So what did they do when they came together? They prayed, verse 15, and in those days, yes, Lord, Peter stood among the believers, a group numbering about 120. Everybody say 120. Doesn't that sound like a nice little group? Doesn't that sound like a comfortable church? You know, some people might say about Moncton Wesleyan, oh, that church is just too big. There are too many people. You can't have quality 
with that many people. But listen to the truth. A church isn't better because it's bigger. A church isn't better because it's smaller. Better isn't bigger. Smaller isn't better. What's better is a church that's biblical and on fire for Jesus. That's what matters. And so that, that first little group of Christians with just 120 people, they were a praying church. They were quality. They were committed. They were going deep together. They were reaching out and they were serving. And what was the result? Go to chapter 2 and find verse 41. Acts 2 verse 41 says, And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Whoa-oh. Listen, do me a favor. Next time somebody complains that your church is too big, show them this verse. Would you do that? Because listen, what happened in Acts chapter 2, I think, is because of the quality of the people with just 120 people who were committed in faith, hope, and love. Folks, Lord, if you would only give us 120 Imagine what we could do. 120 people like that. Imagine what could be accomplished. The world could be changed. Just, just 100 people. 100 people who reach 100 people. The next year, you got 200 people. 200 people who, who everybody just reaches one person that year. The next year, you've got 400 people. And the next year, you have 800 people, and the next year you have 1,200 people, and the next year you have 2,400 people, and before you know it, within 10 years, just 100 people who are serious and committed and quality and reaching out and praying in faith, hope, and love can literally change a city with thousands coming to Jesus. That's what we dream of, and so that's why we do things that's why we do things like love my city on July 23rd. See, listen, a big church isn't better. A small church isn't better. What's better is a church that's on mission for Jesus, loving our city. And so on July 23rd, in just a few weeks, in Victoria Park, right downtown, we are going to be out in the neighborhoods, on the streets of our city, in very tangible ways, showing people that God loves them and we love them. I hope you have that on your calendar. If you're not already signed up to volunteer for something, just show up. Even if you're not signed up, show up and come and be a prayer partner. Come and engage in dialogue and conversations with people. And then on, uh, in August at Centennial Park, just down the road, again, out of the walls of the church and out on the streets of the city. Summer Spectacular is going to be an amazing day for families. Again, won't you come and be part and volunteer, and if nothing else, be a prayer partner. As the great pastoral, uh, Pastor Laurel Buckingham, I want to call him the great Buckingham. It sounds like a magician. As, as the great Buckingham, whoosh, has always said for decades in this church, we must use every available method in every available place at every available time to reach every available person for Christ. Everything we do is for that purpose. And that purpose is what this church has been built upon for decades 
and decades. Folks, that is a quality vision. And quality always comes before quantity. Number three, spiritual power comes before possessions. Everybody say that with me. Spiritual power comes before possessions. Let's move on to the next chapter. Acts chapter three is where we see this fleshed out. Acts chapter three, verse two. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. In other words, you think we've got money? Look at us. (laughs) And so the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. People will give you their attention if they think they're going to get something, right? But here's what Peter said. Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. And the man was healed. Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. The story is told in history of St. Francis of Assisi, who was one of the reformers in the early days of the church, that he was supposedly given a tour by the Pope. And in the tour, the Pope showed him all the vast riches that had been accumulated by the church in the centuries that had proceeded. And the Pope turned to St. Francis with with pride at all the beautiful things that the church had and said, no longer can the church say, silver or gold have we none. And apparently, St. Francis said, and that's true, no longer can your church say, get up in the name of Jesus of Nazareth and walk. You see, you can though. We can have that. In the early church, they didn't have a lot of possessions but they had a lot of power. And today, if we could realize that the importance of Moncton Wesleyan is not what we possess in material blessings. The greatness of a church is not to be measured by the size of its crowd or the size of its building or by the size of its budget. Jesus wasn't rich. The apostles weren't rich in money, but they were rich in faith, hope, and love. And so that's what we're gonna talk about next week. I do hope you'll come back next week. I am so excited. It's going to be really, really good. Because next week, I want to show you something that I think I missed for so many years of reading through the New Testament again and again. And once you see what we're going to pull out of Scripture next week, all of a sudden, you will begin to see what we hope to be and what we hope to become at this church. I can't wait to share that with you next week. But today, we see the success of the early church. That it wasn't in their ministries, it was in the presence and power of God. That it wasn't in their music, it was in the presence and power of God. That it wasn't in their pastor 
or their preaching, or their programming. It was the presence and the power of God. How many of you are expectant that God wants to do a new thing in this place for the generations yet to come? Amen. And so maybe that's what you need today in your own life, personally. Do you need the presence and power of God? Do you need his outpouring? Do do you want his anointing today? Maybe there's something that you need to confess today. Maybe there's some area of your life that is not right. Perhaps you have been focused on the wrong priorities. That you have been seeking possessions more than you have been seeking God's presence. That maybe you have been pursuing success more than pursuing servanthood. Maybe your life has been characterized by busyness more than by holiness. We're going to pray together. Today, would you stand? And if you would just close your eyes for just a second, and if you, if you would say, Joel, would you pray for me today? I think that there are some areas of my life that have been out of alignment, that maybe my priorities have been out of order. But God is speaking to me today, and I want to surrender it to him. Would you just raise your hand as a declaration before God today around this room? Oh, man, look at the room full of people hungry for more of God. And so, Father, for every hand that was raised, we first of all pray, Lord, whatever is being confessed, whatever it is you've been speaking, we join together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we say, Lord, let it be so. Let it be so. Father, we need you more than anything. We need you. We need you in our families. I think even this week of stories that I've heard of families, parents and grandparents who are crying out to you on behalf of their children. And even uh, children whose, whose parents are far from you today. And they're praying for their parents. They're praying for their grandparents. They're praying for their brother or their sister or their cousins. Praying for a coworker or a neighbor. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, more than anything that this world has to offer, we need you. And so with this song that we sing, we invite you to come and have your way among us. 
And at the end of this song, if you need to make a declaration, if you need to confess your sin or receive Jesus today, we're going to do that. But first, let's invite him in worship as we pray this song together.